Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, streaking stocks, the major averages continuing to erase their August losses. The investment committee on what all of this means for your money now as the calendar turns to September. Joining me for the hour, Steve Weiss, Brent Talkington, Joe Terranova, Kerry Firestone. Check the markets. Uh, we've been all around the way a little bit today, but we are green now. And uh, in fact, Brent, we're at the highest level since August 10th. At August's intraday low, the S&P 500 was down 5.5%. We're only down 1.5% now. So we've kind of scratching and clawing our way back. We talked about the other day, the most important data point is what's going on with bonds. What's going on with the two-year and what's going on with the 10-year. Right. And what drives bonds? Economic data. And the economic data, unlike what the, the Atlanta Fed is saying is going to happen later on the year at 6%, which now we know that's not going to happen, continues to get softer and softer. And so this is good news yeah. for the economy right now, as long as we can continue to glide down and then flatten out. Soft right? news is good news, right? I mean, yields to your point, the two-year lowest level since August 11th. The 10 years back, it we just showed it, 410, bottom of your screen. Wasn't that long ago, Joe, that we're talking about, you know, north of 430 on the 10-year market. You know, yields start to run. Market gets nervous. As we said, S&P was down 5.5%. The Nasdaq was down 8.2% at its August low. It's only down 2.2% now. Um, so everything's kind of rallied back, whether it's small caps, Dow, NASDAQ, S&P. Yeah, first of all, what I like about today's price action is that we really did not go back deeply into yesterday's trading range. So that creates a degree of validity in the move higher. Uh, basically, we, we, we pierced into the range yesterday and we maintained that and bounced from there. Um, it is, to Bryn's point, it's all about yields. It's all about the fact since Monday, a two-year was 5.10. Now you've got a two-year at 4.86. What has that done to expectations for what the Federal Reserve is going to do? As we sat here on Monday, there was a 75% probability of another 25 basis point rate hike from the Federal Reserve at some point this year. As we sit here today, that is now down to less than 50% probability for another 25 basis point. Let's see what hike. PCE does tomorrow, right? We can't get too far ahead of ourselves because we need that report to come in in a, in a way that investors view it as favorable for what the Fed's going to do and also one that doesn't start pushing yields back up. Without question. Without question, you should not look at the price action in the last three days and say, okay, case closed. We understand the Federal Reserve now kind of sits back and, and waits and we feel as though all the data has gone in the way of the bulls. No way. The price action, though, since Monday should be encouraging. Why? Because what it is suggesting is that the deeper correction thesis that was so dominant in the middle it of was August. pervasive in the middle of the month, right? Right. 
And this is more consistent with a more normalized, more normalized 5% at its depth type of correction. Jerry, bottom line is this is exactly what the Fed and investors want slash need. Yeah, right? You need growth exactly. to still remain nice, reasonable, yeah. reasonable, not too crazy, not too hot. Right, Today exactly. you get you know the picture from ADP and, and some other economic data which suggests, okay, it's, it's cooling a bit, right. which is exactly what the doctor, yeah, ordered. Jay Powell, ordered. It's better than expected. And last week, I remember talking about how a decline of 3 to 5% was healthy. And we talked about what is healthy. I mean, everybody says it's healthy until they start to feel sick to their stomach. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so far, I mean, I feel that this has been more healthy than sickening. And Jay Powell scared some people in his tone the other day, but it really made other investors feel comfortable. Uh, I think for us, it was comfortable. And the PC number continues to come down. I, I think there's no question that he's on the track that he believed he would be able to maintain. We don't have a recession. We haven't had a recession. And 3.5% unemployment is not a case where you're generally going to have a recession pop up and crush earnings. Earnings growth, I think, becomes the thing people have to worry about and care about. Let's also put in perspective, too, this idea that, you know, the fall is historically bad, September, October, historically bad for stocks. Yes, that's true. But the caveat being that when August or when you make it from the beginning of the year through August the way we have, not so much for a bad September, which is one of the reasons why Tom Lee suggests you're going to get two to three percent gains this month. Morgan Stanley, uh, one of their PMs had a, a note out or an interview on Street Signs Asia, CNBC uh, Asia, that uh, the S&P is going to get closer to 5,000 by the end of the year. We recaptured 4,500 today. We're at 4524. Mm -hmm. um, why so? Have we have we turned the corner back towards the side of momentum? We have right now, but if you take a look, look, Goldman puts out a note every day after the market closes. They talk about what their activity level was. And yesterday it was two out of 10. So you hardly have a quorum there in terms of what's going on in the market. But there's no room in the scorecard for what the volume is. Uh, the scorecard only responds to what the move in the market is. So right now it's fine. Now, to your point, which I think is, is a tremendous point, we've got PCE tomorrow. And then you go forward, we'll have some inflation numbers. So the market continues to be data dependent. So a lot's got to go right going forward to say that, hey, here's victory, because you can never declare victory in the markets. So right now, yes, Bryn's correct. The economy is gliding down, gliding down at a reasonable level that everybody get comfortable with, but we don't know where it's going to land. So that should keep people from getting too euphoric about the market. Look, I've got long exposure I've had in a while. Some of it's trading exposure, other, of it, other is adding to core names. And I still believe you go where the opportunity is and you take that long-term view for most of your portfolio. So I don't know how it's gonna end out, Scott. Uh, September, for all the headlines about how bad September is, historically since 1920, the average decline is 1%. For all the bad talk about October, it's really that we've had some major corrections and we have more 5% moves negative in October than in any other month. However, October usually ends up 
So I wouldn't make too much out of the seasonality. I do believe this time is different because of the number of rate hikes we've had. But if you go back to 2004 and 2006, where we had similar moves in terms mm -hmm. of a hiking cycle, but we start from 1%, the market traded up, consistently traded up a year after the cycle started. And that's what we're seeing now. Forget about 2008, 2009, of course, but you know, so I think you can see your way forward to a positive market, but well, very, very data dependent. We're, we're getting, you know, we made this checklist the other day, Joe, in terms of what has to happen for September to go right. Mm -hmm. Top of the list, obviously, yields need to come down. Okay, that, that's Check cooperating. The, um, the economy, the data has to continue to be good, but not just too hot. A little cooler. Check, check that box. Okay. Right? Gonna come down to earnings. Now you're not gonna get that in September, obviously, but you you at least from the, the standpoint of thinking that Q2 earnings were the trough. That's it. Okay. And then you start to trend back higher yes. when we start to report earnings for the third quarter. And then that trend continues into the fourth quarter and, and beyond. And and that's where estimates suggest we're gonna be. That narrative has to hold. You can't get negative revisions as September sort of rolls on, because that's going to upset that part of the story. And that matters more than anything to perhaps stock prices. Absolutely. And here's why you should feel good about it. OK, so on an EPS basis, 80 percent of the companies in the S&P 500 beat in the current quarter. One year ago, that was 77 percent. Where is the strength coming from? This is interesting because the strength is coming from the corporations that are selling to the consumer which is obviously indicative of this overwhelming strength that the consumer has. So consumer discretionary companies, 88% of those companies are beating on EPS. 62% are beating on revenue. For the S&P 500, only 55, or rather 51% are beating on revenue. So consumer discretionary is strong. You could say the same thing about healthcare. And Scott, on your checklist, add another variable. And that's the fact that leadership has been restored since Monday. What has NVIDIA done since we sat here 48 hours yeah. ago? It's up 10%. So NVIDIA, to your point, puts an all-time closing high in yesterday, right? A week ago, we're saying, oh, well, the earnings were awesome, but the reaction bring in the market, your, this your stock yeah. too, um, wasn't great. It's up 6% this week, and this sort of record run seems like it's back intact. We'll see what the intraday, you know, if we can get to that intraday high. But nonetheless, a, a new closing high yesterday. I think when there's a big sign that Google has, and underneath it, it's powered by NVIDIA chips, that says it all, right? And so that came out yesterday, that obviously Google's gonna be using NVIDIA inside to power, to power their ecosystem. And so I, I still believe that within AI, the use cases of all of these H100 chips and A100 chips, we will see how many other people have their open AI, their chat GPT moment. But right now, NVIDIA is monetizing all of that hype. And I just think it is this moment in time for NVIDIA, which, which is wonderful. It's also interesting because talking about earnings, Joe, you know, next year, tech earnings are actually supposed to be up. And I, I like, I think Goldman has good, good earnings. They had 224 for this year, a 5% earnings consensus growth for next year. I think that's okay. But tech is actually supposed to re-accelerate and they're expecting 10% growth year over year. And with these, these, these trillion dollar names, that'll be interesting to see because that can definitely pull up the rest of the market if well, you see these names start to re-accelerate. Plus it has to, it has to, to justify valuations that are you know, and not in, and look, NVIDIA starts the month, Joe, again, you own this, it, it starts the month 
with a, a P.E. that was it's a lot higher than where it is now. Now it's 34 and a half times. It's 10 year historical average is the same place where it is now. OK, more or less. Um, my point is, you know, the stock came in. Now it's reaccelerating. Mm -hmm. Earnings growth looks good. Fantastic. Their outlook looks great. Thus, the P.E. has come down. It's actually come down in the month. Okay, so 16 billion in quarterly revenue. The expectation is that's going to run somewhere between 20 to 25 billion in the coming quarters. Is Nvidia actually cheap or is it expensive? I think it's more towards being cheap. Melius today, the firm there, they reiterated a buy. They say dare we say Nvidia is now cheap, which is Steve Weiss. You agree with that? You bought you bought some Nvidia. I did. I did. So what I took a look at was number 1 uh, a few things. When they reported and reported a phenomenal number of stocks sold off, uh, a lot of the hot money that got in because the analysts tripping, tripping over themselves to raise their price targets the week before earnings brought in a lot of hot money. So that hot money actually as an exit created an opportunity. Didn't buy a lot, bought very little. But what really attracted me to it is that you're essentially in their January 25 year. They're slightly off a calendar fiscal. And on that, it's about 30 times. And I thought, given their growth and, you know, that, that it was, I wouldn't say cheap. I think cheap is just way too much of oversaved. I thought it was very reasonably priced because there are lots that you've got to take into account. So you've got to take into account over ordering. ordering. We see this not only with semis, but with everything, whether it's commodity, steel, or copper, when there's a tightness in the market, companies tend to overorder, and then they have these inventories. It's like, what are we going to do with it? Plus, I'm sure there are a lot of companies out there that are in the queue and have been ordering that have no idea what they're going to do with it at all because they don't have workable AI products or strategies yet. So, but that's going to be for a while. We won't see that inventory glut if there is one for a while. So, mm -hmm. yes, yeah, so I did look at it. I did say it's cheap. I saw it priced relative to Microsoft, pretty much the same. Microsoft slightly cheaper. Again, Microsoft, if NVIDIA is the number one beneficiary of AI, Microsoft is number two. So that's why I started buying. It's not a big position at all. I'd like to, for, frankly, do another dump, although I don't see that coming so I can get bigger in it. Mm -hmm. But... You know, the trend is, is your friend in this, and I think it's going to continue with the stock. Carrie, you know what else has been running again is Apple. Yeah. It's only about 5% from its high. It's now back above its 50-day moving average. That was 186.54. It's a little north of 187, I think, yeah. if we could take a look. Um, it's the first time it's been above the 50-day since August 4th. So eight of nine days it's pacing for in terms of up days. Yeah. It's no secret that, you know, when we... Gosh, I'd say, you know, three, four weeks ago, we we're, we we're suggesting, you know, yields better calm down and Apple better get its act together for this market to stabilize. We're using sort of that word stabilize, right. talking about those two areas. Well, you're, you're getting both. Yeah, it, it, it feels that way and it looks that way. And, and Apple is indicative of how investors feel about the market. I mean, people buy Apple when they've been sitting on the sidelines and they want to start adding to positions. The position they add to first is Apple. I mean, no one, almost no one is overweight Apple because it's such a high percent. You know, Apple and Microsoft represent the same market value of the 300 names of the S&P, the bottom 300. That's what Apple is. And it's the name that we know and love. The services side is improving. I mean, they, they really have some momentum with a new model. Uh, you know, and I think that they can probably come out with a decent number that's going to make people feel comfortable this quarter. You know, 
It's all tied, I think, Bryn, in some respects, too. As, as yields have come down, now you see more, more notes coming out uh, about, well, th this is what has to happen. We, we love mega cap again for, for the remainder of the year, and it's no secret that you're getting that as yields have, have come in. And then now the Nasdaq's off to the races again. So I think you have this uh, juxtaposition between the macro and the micro. The macro would be the two and the 10 year, right? And so once we get to that ceiling, all of a sudden macroeconomics comes in. What are yields gonna do? What is the Fed gonna do? As yields start to come down, the micro, what are individual companies gonna do? What is Apple gonna do? Is this gonna be a good upgrade cycle because so many people have the iPhone 12 and they're gonna upgrade to the 15. And so I think that that allows for underlying individual fundamentals to have a bigger a bigger voice in the market when we have yields come at bay, well, which is like a healthy what, thing to have. It's like what Goldman is talking about today. For now, bad news is good news for the market, or at least big tech. Um, they're keeping an eye on the potential for Tina again. There is no alternative dynamic mm. for big tech that could be forming again in, in their eyes. But, but again, Joe, it's like bad news is good news to my point of because bad news about the economy brings yields in, mm -hmm. and then they suggest that's good news, as it has been, for big tech. I, listen, I, th I think it's more about positioning with big tech. Um, I I'm not so sure you have the degree of sensitivity to where yields are for mega caps because uh, you have though. But but mega you caps, they're, they're so qualitative in their nature. They have so much free cash flow. So is there really that primal concern about where yields are going to be for, for mega caps? Look, you think Tesla's, think you think Tesla's up 9% in a positioning. week? Positioning. I think it's up on positioning. I really do. I think a lot of people have gone underweight a lot of the mega caps, and now they're trying to rebuild positions. And it's interesting. Listen, I heard the conversation yesterday, and I will credit Josh with what he's done with Alphabet because I did the comparisons. And Alphabet is certainly outperforming year-to-date Apple and Microsoft, and it's, and it's cheaper, and maybe it is. Well, it underperformed what, them for a while. I but mean, it really maybe, did, but yeah. okay, I understand that. But it's Catching you know up, we could yeah. go back in time and we could explore. Last year, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, where are we in a five or ten years? Let's just be clear. Let's look in the moment, right? Yeah. Let's look at where we are right now, and what ultimately is going to be the contribution from YouTube. I think that's a, 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 an important variable to think about in owning that stock. Now, this is a stock that the Joe T strategy didn't add. In April, it only added it more recently. I'm glad that we're finally in this name, but I think there's more to the story with Alphabet than I know myself have given credit to, and I know a lot of people in the street. Back to Tesla for a second, Bryn. Um, there's no way in sort of this discussion we were just having about yields and how much they matter to, to the yeah. growth trade. There's just no way Tesla's up 9% in a week because if yields have been up for, right. for a week straight. It's just right. not, it just wouldn't happen. There still is a correlation between yield moves and, and tech. It just may not be as, as direct or critical to every part right. of that story than some had, had let us believe, you know, in, in months prior. There is but there's definitely a relationship. There is. And like yields matter. Like I, I will, I will go down. Yields matter. Do the level of interest rates matter? Absolutely. They can't not matter. So Tina is to me a very dangerous thing for people to start saying multiples don't matter for tech because these companies are special. Well, multiples are cheaper today than they were at the beginning first, of the month first, almost across the board. Well, yeah, but marginally, marginally, except NVIDIA. No, at least they're going in the right direction. Right. But going back to Tesla, there are a basket of names that the hedge funds are short and the algorithmics, algorithmic traders have to go long or go short on a yield play. I think Tesla's part of that, right? And so as yields have come down, it's all of a sudden momentum on. And where are you going to get the biggest bang for your buck? 
Apple or Tesla? Tesla. Tesla's going to move much more in a week than Apple or Microsoft. And so I think there's a lot of underlying energy in certain names like a Tesla when you're having small small yield moves because of algorithmic trading. Weiss, let's go through some of your other moves here. You bought more Alibaba. Sure. We talked about Goldman Sachs the other day as one of these sort of dogs of the Dow in the month of, of August to keep an eye on to see what happens with, with that stock. Dick Sporting Goods, you've owned for a long time. We know that you added more there. Let's talk about those. Why Baba, why Goldman, why Dick Sporting Goods? Well, let's do the last first. So Dick Sporting Goods, you know, the stock, uh, I got greedy, right? And it approached my 150 price target and I backed away. I thought the quarter was actually a pretty good quarter, theft aside. Uh, their new store format is absolutely killing it. Uh, they still are, you know, prime partner, uh, preferred partner with Nike, which is an important player, and have the Hoka and the On Clouds as well. So I just thought it was oversold, and, and it got to an inexpensive level. And as it has in other quarters where it's gotten hit, the bounce back is par- fairly quickly. So it's a, it's a pretty decent-sized position, actually. So I've taken the opportunities to add to it. And uh, so far, it's doing well off the Give bottom. Give me Goldman. In terms Give me of something Baba, on Goldman Sachs. And, Give me okay. Goldman Sachs. Right. Goldman Sachs, you know, look, Amy spoke about it the other day. I spoke about it. Um, I think it's cheap here. Uh, you know, you've seen some headline issues on it uh, in terms of David Solomon, CEO. I think David has actually done a pretty good job. No CEO make, doesn't, is mistake-free in their reign. And now they're getting out of those mistakes pretty well. And uh, look, capital markets will come back. It's also a hedge against a bearish view, because if the market keeps accelerating, then you'll see the IPO market open up sooner than I think and bankers think. So right Mm -hmm. now, the base case for that is second half of 24. So anything that happens quicker, we're still seeing some bleed out like Instacart, although I think that's an anomaly. So that's why Goldman Sachs. It trades in a range right now where 320 seems to be the bottom. It was comfortable where I was at, where I felt like adding. And you couldn't tolerate much more negative press than you've seen from that. And I think that's behind us largely now. In terms but of Baba. You, hold look, on a second. Ch- hang, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. you you can't believe, and I'm not I'm not saying you specifically, but and you, you generally can't believe that the economy is going to, still take a you know a large turn for the worse and then believe that capital markets business is going to come back in the same breath right if you think there's going to be more m and if you think there's going to be more ipo activity which you believe is going to help goldman sachs right. which is why you're buying it now then you have to have a more optimistic view about the trajectory of the economy moving forward well, I, I, I think everything you say is true except for the last part. It's not that I have to have a more optimistic view. It's that my view is that the bad news is all in the stock. Look, you're not going to see a major pickup in the M&A cycle where, where rates are. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. just not going to happen. No, but you at least have uh, to know, believe we that were, that activity has fully troughed, right? That there's, and, and maybe the stock has too. Exactly. Is, is I think that, is, that is, is correct. That, that is correct, and that's why I've done it. That activity is fully trough. Look, look, we were going to be part of a, of a take private of a public company uh, about six, nine months ago, and it was all systems go, and then, because you had to put so many terms of leverage on it, just couldn't do it because the numbers didn't make sense with where rates were and the difficulty in getting the financing, even if you were willing to pay those rates. Mm-hmm. So, so, that, so that's changed. In terms Give of Bob, real look, quick, and Chinese then i got to take a break. Yeah, 
Chinese government's doing it more slowly than I thought in terms of easing. They will keep doing it, and the stock could double from here. That's fine. All, right. All right, so let's do that. Let's take a quick break. We come back. We got a downgrade for one chip maker. It's a top uh, industry analyst now says it could drop 15% from here. We're going to tell you what our call of the day is, and we'll do it next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back. We're going to do our call of the day. Um, it's Texas Instruments. There's the stock. Uh, and it's actually come back from its lowest levels of the morning. Downgraded to underperform today by none other than Stacy Raskon over at Bernstein. He's certainly one of the top analysts in that space. Uh, here's what he says. We're not suggesting that their strategy is, quote, unquote, wrong or bad. They just have a longer investment horizon than most other companies. However, this horizon is also likely longer than many investors have as well. Joe, I go to you. You own it personally. You own it in the ETF. It was your stock summit pick. You got a lot invested on these picks. What about this call? So a lot of what Stacy is saying, I agree with. And I'm saying that as someone who is frustrated by the performance of Texas Instruments. Now, understand the stock was added to Joe T on October 31st of 2022. So we all know the price is going to be relatively good to where it is today, but not so great because we were in the stock at 160. I think it's somewhere around 169 right now. It's up 2% year-to-date. 2% year-to-date. The SMH is up 53%. There's 31 technology holdings within Joe T. This ranks 28th out of 31 technology holdings. The high at 188 was early in July after earnings, the stock has come right down. I think Stacy's onto something right here. There's nothing I could do about it right now. I, uh, something can be done uh, on Halloween when we affect the next rebalance and reconstitution. But what Stacy's hitting on about this company is they seem to be very slow moving. They don't seem to be as nimble as a lot of other technology companies and certainly a lot of other semiconductor companies well, which are performing well. He, he uses words, you know, Bryn, that they're pretty powerful in terms of what he sees as the runway here when he talks about structural underperformance. 
structural. Well, it's partly right. to Joe's point. Well, so that's, that's hard to yeah. fix. I think that people look at semiconductors and generally as very cyclical, right? Very, very cyclical. And so if you look at structural issues, Intel is, has structural issues. It's been frozen in time. And so I think that when someone with the caliber of Stacy comes out and says, as a you know, he's, he's probably the best, the best on the semi side, this is going to take longer than investors have a tolerance for. I would, I mean, I don't have an opinion on Texas Instruments, but I have an opinion on Stacy and on the semiconductor industry that I think when you have a name like an NVIDIA or even an AMD. Or Broadcom, right? I mean, right. you're making the point that, you know, the, the sexy plays in chips right now right. are not about these, these right. companies. Why, why, if, you, if, you're an, if you're a portfolio manager and you have to own semis, where is Intel and Texas Instrument on your list? It's probably like not on your list because you're going to own NVIDIA, AMD, or Broadcom, right? So I just, uh, I would listen to Stacey because I think he's very thoughtful and does a great job in the space. I mean, not that, you know, look, Intel's had, after a pretty dismal carry 2022, the stock has had a, a reasonably good year. Um, it's just there's some of these other names which are tied into other areas of the economy which are maybe more questionable that you have to think about. And, and the other, as I turn to you, Align Technology is also on our list because it's yours. Yeah. Uh, initiated at buy at HSBC, price target 450. I think that's great. I think it can go to 550. I mean, this was the stock that was 730 in September of 2021. It was a huge COVID beneficiary. They make the clear liners. They're braces that are clear and People have been using them, adults primarily, and now it's going into the teen market. Yeah. But when people Can we see the chart, yeah, please? it's up seventy percent year to date. The it the, was seven hundred bucks. Yeah, it was seven thirty. It went to one eighty, and we bought it when it was way down. Uh, so it's about a double from the from the bottom. But it's got plenty of room to to grow because the braces market is huge, and teenagers are only starting to use them. Dentists are now putting them in the mouths of teenagers, not just adults. It was it was your stock summit pick yeah. as well. Well, it, it had started moving, but it had more to go. All, not all my summit picks were so good. Don't bring up the others. Better than my Texas instruments. <laughs> all right, hold on. Let me do some digging. Well, I'll get back to you in a minute. Uh, let's get the headlines in the meantime with Silvana Head now. Hey, Silvana. Hey, Scott. Hurricane Adalia has been weakened to a Category 1 hurricane. Adalia has been tearing through the Big Bend region of Florida, covering some parts with more than five inches of rainfall, causing flooding and widespread power outages. The National Weather Service in Tallahassee says some locations may be uninhabitable for weeks or months. State officials say two people have died as a result of the storm. It's now headed north and east, bringing damaging winds and rain to southern Georgia. A federal judge issued a default judgment against Rudy Giuliani, finding him liable for defaming two Georgia election workers, Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Shay Moss. The order means Giuliani will have to pay damages for spreading false claims, and a trial will be held to determine how much he has to pay them. And the opioid overdose antidote Narcan will be available over the counter in retailers like Walgreens and CVS. Drugmaker Biosolutions said the medicine is being shipped across the U.S. and could be available to buy as early as this week. Two doses of Narcan will be sold for around $45, both in-store and online, Scott. All right, Silvana, thank you very much for that. Sure Silvana, and now. All right, Bitcoin, it's coming off its best day since June on hopes that the street's first Bitcoin ETF could get approved. Our Bob Pisani joins us 
with the very latest in today's ETF Edge. That is next. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. We're back. Bob Pisani now with today's ETF Edge. Bob, and we're still talking uh, Bitcoin? Yeah, we're still figuring this out. So the U.S. Court of Appeals, you all know, for the D.C. Circuit, sided with Grayscale yesterday in a lawsuit against the SEC, greatly improving the chances that a Bitcoin ETF will be approved. So what is next? Let's ask Matt Hogan. Matt is the chief investment officer of Bitwise Asset Management. He is one of the nine applicants seeking approval for a Bitcoin ETF from the SEC. So this man has skin in the game here. Matt, it seems like the ball's in the SEC's court. Game this out for us. What happens now? What's the next play? Absolutely, Bob. It's great to be here. This was a huge win in the industry's efforts to get a spot Bitcoin ETF launched. Now the SEC is going to consider what to do. They could appeal, although most people think that's unlikely, given that this was a unanimous decision by a three-panel uh, group of judges, including two Democratic-appointed judges. If they aren't appealing, then they can no longer use this argument to deny a spot Bitcoin ETF. So practically, what happens next is this Friday, they have to decide if they're delaying the approval or the review of Bitwise's application over the weekend, BlackRock's and others probably pushing this out for another 45 days or so, but then things get very interesting. I think that's a time period to watch. Yeah. Given how harsh this ruling was, it, it would seem there's a fairly high barrier for an appeal. So what grounds could they even appeal on? You know, the, the court said Bitcoin futures and Bitcoin cash are fundamentally similar products. You approve one, you have to approve the other. It seems unlikely an appellate court would reverse that, right? I mean... I think that's right, Bob. I think the SEC is more likely to focus on the other sort of technical aspects of bringing a spot Bitcoin ETF to market. You have to think about think about custody. You th have to think about AP agreements. But it's important to note that those are much smaller, much more technical hurdles. This was the big beast standing in our way. I think it's finally been slayed. You know, they say that that good things come to those who wait. This is a very good thing. We've been waiting for a while. I do think we'll see a spot Bitcoin ETF launch, hopefully by the end of this year. Uh, well, that was my next question. If, if the SEC chooses not to appeal, what kind of time frame are we looking at to get these to market? There seems to be a consensus that if the SEC approves a Bitcoin ETF, they should approve all of them at once. Do you agree with that? And give us more timeline here. Yeah, I think that would be a fair and level playing field for all the competitors in this market. I also think that would be the best thing for investors. That would mean the most competition, the most price competition, the most quality competition. So I'm optimistic that that's what we'll see. I do think the most important windows to look at are about 50 days from now. That's when the rubber really meets the road for the Bitwise application, for the BlackRock application, for other leading applications. And then the big date would be January 10th of 2024. That's when they have to make a decision on the ARC filing. And if they're lining up everyone, you would think they might yeah. make the decision on everyone by then. I suspect it's going to be earlier, Bob. Just 10 seconds we have. How, how long would an appeal take? If they appealed this, this week, how long would it take to get a ruling? I think that could take a while, but they have up to 45 days to appeal. I don't think that's the likely path. 
I think we're on the path to a spot Bitcoin ETF. That's an exciting path to be on. It's a guy with skin in the game, folks. There's a lot more coming up on what happens next with Bitcoin ETFs. ETF Edge at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Now, Matt's going to be joined by Craig Salm. He's Grayscale's chief legal officer. He's the one who was in the middle of this whole thing. Jeremy Senderowitz is also going to join us. He's an attorney with Vetter Price who's been representing ETFs for 20 years. So we're going to answer all your questions on what's next for that Bitcoin ETF. we got all the experts ahead on ETFedge.cnbc.com. Special 2 p.m. Eastern time today. Scott, back to right, you. Good timing. Good stuff. Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani. Um, all right. So. Your Bitcoin exposure, you've got the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, you've got the Grayscale Ethereum Trust, you used to own Coinbase, so I'm, I'm gathering that you have some interesting thoughts about this whole thing. Yeah, these are small positions. I'm down on GBTC. I think for investors or people who don't own, to own it, understand GBTC early in the year, there was a 50% discount to the price of Bitcoin to GBTC. Now that has moved up to only an 18% discount. So even if Bitcoin doesn't move, you've seen this 32, 32% you know, squeeze just because of this can go public. I think that Bitcoin people, I agree, can be viewed as digital gold, okay, digital gold. I'm still though in the camp of what use cases are all the other cryptocurrencies. And so once again, there's a small position. I think the whole nonsense and all the fraudulent activities that happened last year are just, to me, we're a game changer. And so I want to see the open AI of crypto. I want to see the actual use cases before I'd even remotely think about stepping into this in size, because I think that's so far out and yet to be determined. OK. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about Salesforce and CrowdStrike ahead of both of those results today in overtime. Halftime is back right after this break. Big earnings reports in overtime today. Salesforce, CrowdStrike. Both stocks in the green ahead of that. Carrie, Salesforce first. What you looking for uh, on this? Been a good year for the stock. Very good. So the stock's been up about 60%. Of course, it had a really tough ride last year. Mm -hmm. uh, we expect about $1.90. That would be up about 60%. Uh, over last year, but last year was a weak quarter. We want to see that cost cutting continues, but the margins are going to be improving because we're beginning to see sales come back. Sales bottomed in the first uh, six months of the year. We want to hear about that, that things are going to be up. Revenue 10% or more, guiding something better. Uh, that would be the roadmap for the future for this company because enterprise software in the CRM space is very important. We really have seen an improvement in the product that Salesforce delivers. And if they can bring in some new big corporate customers, we'll hear about it and that would be great for the stock. Okay, so Joe, you know I'm gonna to turn to you on CrowdStrike, but you also own Salesforce in the ETF. So give me a take there. The only, the only concern that I have with, with CrowdStrike, uh, with Salesforce rather, is that there's 34 analysts that cover it and every one of the analysts increased estimates after last quarterly earnings. So the expectation, I think, for Salesforce is a little bit high, but it's all about controlling that spending. Um, for CrowdStrike, listen, I detailed the other day the reasoning behind it, uh, computer network attacks, computer network exploitation, this Palo Alto, it's a long-term holding for me. As far as tonight, uh, the options market is pricing in a little bit more volatility, a move of about 7.9%. The move is 6.5% over the last two years. Understand management in their guidance was pretty conservative last quarter. Mm -hmm. I think they maintained that conservative guidance, but that also 
gives you the ability to jump over a very low bar. And in terms of revenue year on year, you're looking somewhere in the mid 30s, which obviously is very uh, attractive for a growth company. Do you take anything from Palo Alto's earnings report? extrapolate anything from that into this, feeling pretty good about what was a good report from them, despite all the concerns about that Friday afternoon yeah. <laughs> release? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. I think it, it kind of washed away the premise after Fortinet that the demand was not there. Palo Alto came right back and said, no, the demand is real. And I think we're going to see the demand for CrowdStrike is real. I think a lot of that's going to be driven by uh, AI attacks as well. Okay. All right. Uh, Mike Santoli. He'll join us next with his Midday Word. Michael Santoli, our senior markets commentator, right here next to me at Post 9. So soft news is obviously good news. Yep as it relates to the economy. And for the bulls, NVIDIA and Apple running again is good news, too. For now, that is the case. Softer news is what's desired. Now, we had the U.S. Economic Surprise Index was just flying. It was actually at record highs. That's what got yields up. That's what got people positioned and concerned about overheating economy. Do yields break something? Now that's running in reverse. We'll see how much leash we have uh, on that trade as well. You don't want it to get too soft. So we're in the somewhat of the sweet spot right now. I think the key, too, was during the pullback that we had maybe it's not over uh, down let's say five six percent from the highs you didn't see credit crack uh, cyclical still held up relative to defensive sectors uh, you didn't really see a lot of the concerns in fact earnings estimates kept going up so all that has given us this support I do think the long longer term question maybe not even longer term is did you really regenerate buying interest did you really create bargains out there do we just tag you know that five percent pullback and everyone yeah. rush back well in? I mean yeah. it, it Maybe not, but you at least have, have stemmed some of the selling interest. Sure, no doubt about and it. And the, the sentiment turn that undoubtedly took place that suggested the trend was done, and now we've kind of come back to a yeah. place where maybe that's not true either. To a degree. I think people were braced for seasonal weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I don't think we started from a point of craziness. You have to remember that, too. We weren't sitting here talking about IPOs, you know, one after another going going up 100% on the first day. It was just kind of a little bit over-optimistic in the very short term. So I agree with all that stuff. We'll see how far that gets us. Seeing a lot of work that says once you're up 10% uh, in the first half of the year, September's not so bad. Bespoke had that data. Yeah, also, did, yeah. more specifically, if you're up between 15 and 20% on the S&P through August, which we are, very much a data mining exercise, but you've almost always done better over the balance of the year. So uh, we'll see if, uh, if any of that holds up. It's an easy market to push in either direction, too. Volume's so weak. Well, I mean, at this point, looking yeah. Looking here at the New York Stock Exchange, like 200 million shares at this point. We'll see when it's it gets true. real. When it gets real, once There's we come back There's a lot of people out Day. there feeling like the market's going against them, saying, I wish it was easier to push around in <laughs> yeah. my direction. Right, we'll PCE, see. PCE coming up in yeah. jobs, too. Exactly. So those are going to be critical. I'll see you on closing balance. Right. Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. And by the way, another promo. Uh, don't miss Last Call tonight. Brian Sullivan has an interview with Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr., it's tonight at 7 Eastern, halftime's back right after this. Got a number of new highs today that we want to go through. Joe, and you've got several of these. TJX, that's a new high today. Old Dominion. Yep, TJX, off price doing well, strong earnings, Old Dominion. Uh, that's been an industrial name that's been working for us now for the better part of the last 52 weeks. 
see another one on here that you have too that we never talk about. Brown and Brown, yep. all-time intraday high back to its 93 merger when it began trading on the NASDAQ. Moved to the NYSE in 98. Financial sector too. Hard to find financial sector stocks. Yeah. Kerry, uh, speaking of Visa, that's at a high today. MasterCard is, which Joe has too, but uh, you've got Visa. Yeah, like what it's doing. I, we know people are traveling. That's great for their cross-border business. And we also see people are spending. They may not be spending, you know, hugely, but they're still spending more than they were. And that's great. And interest rates coming down at all is a positive. That's a two-year high there. Um, hey, Weiss, you know, Eli Lilly is on this list. Now, I know you don't own it, but you do have some play going on in, in the healthcare space in general, just playing it differently. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I own UNH, which is, which is doing fine, uh, and I think continue to do well. Look, you know, it's feast or famine, uh, not to have too much of playing words, because the, the obesity drugs, if you're, if you're a drug company, it's got it. You're fattening the wallets of your, of your shareholders. If you don't, like a Pfizer or a Merck, then you're just, you know, trending along. So you got to be really where the pipeline is, and that's why Lily's doing so well. I think it's a little overdone at this point, mm -hmm. but the, these drugs just are just going to continue to kill it. Don't don't talk about it a lot. Cisco, CSCO, uh, highest level since March of 22. Uh, so got some interesting moves. We'll keep an eye on those, and we'll do final trades next. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern today. Dan Greenhouse, Stephanie Link, Avery Sheffield. Dan Ives is going to join us as well. Talk about this resurgent tech move, Salesforce earnings and overtime. He'll give you the scoop there. And by the way, Kerry has a new op-ed out on CNBC.com. I want you to check that out. There it is. What investors should know about mega cap stocks market influence. Give me a quickie on this, Kerry. It just shows how much influence because of weight they have, but how maybe they deserve it because their earnings share is so high. That's the thing. It's we, we know about the, the size, but I look yeah. forward to reading this to yeah. hear from you why they deserve it, why it's not. justified or yeah, not. Yeah. And that's the critical question. Correct. All right, let's do final trades. Uh, Steve Weiss, what do you have first? Freeport, uh, copper's been trending up. I still think copper is going to be entering a new stage of growth because of EVs. Uh, look, it's Penn PCE may give you an opportunity if you get something strong tomorrow to buy it. But I think Freeport looks pretty solid right here. Carrie? CarMax, we think the used car market is going to start to really get better. And if interest rates are peaking, that's very good for this industry. Okay, Joe? Been a long time since Uber traded above $50. I think that's exactly where it's going and well beyond that. Ultimately, this stock will be in the mid-60s, and it will be in the S&P 500 at some point. Albemarle, secular tailwind that's been cyclically um, weak. We've got 1.9 million uh, metric tons this year, 3.7 by 2030. Um, it bounced off 185. It's about 198. It's a great entry point here. Okay. Let's take a look, guys, at uh, NVIDIA, if we could, uh, because we did have that new closing high yesterday. We're going for that new intraday high. We need to get above 500, like 502. Inevitable. So that's one to keep an eye on for the remainder of this day. I also want to highlight Apple as well, which is back above its 50-day moving average, 187.44. That stock has been on the move as well. No surprise that the NASDAQ has done well behind that and this resurgent move in NVIDIA, Tesla as well. I mentioned that earlier. is up like 10% in a week. 
I will see you on Closing Bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.